Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 1 as we continue on in our series. In the book of Romans, the time for truth is now. Thank you, Matt, the rest of the worship team for leading us. And what an emphasis today on just God's awesome power, this creative design. We're preaching on a unique subject today, what I refer to in our title is the righteousness and the wrath of God. I know this at times can sound like a tough sell. I was speaking with a man this week in our community, <clears throat> invited him to church. I said, I'm preaching on the wrath of God. He's like, you mind if I don't come this Sunday? I'm like, no, this is good. You have to understand this before you get to the love of God. So there's a lot here. I understand that. And we're going to pray that the Lord just enlighten our hearts and our minds to this magnificent, magnificent truth of Scripture. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, as we are bowed on your day in your presence, with your word opened up before us, your spirit present among us and in us. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in every word that is spoken. Pray for every person that is gathered here this morning, every person that's listening to this message, that you would encourage and comfort, and strengthen, but also quicken and, and awaken within us a longing and a desire, a passion for the full counsel of the gospel of Jesus, the full truth that you've given. A long week in many ways, an exhausting week, we do pray for our country and our leaders we do pray, Lord, for our new president-elect, Biden, and vice president-elect, Harris. May you grant them wisdom. And may we be faithful in our prayers for them. Father, we, I ask for help as, as you know that I am in constant need of it. Give clarity of thought and mind and speech. And may we, together as family, leave this place momentarily, knowing that we've heard a word from you, an important word of truth. We ask this now in the amazing and wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. By way of very, very quick review, the last time that we gathered together, verses 16 and 17, we looked at Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, we refer to them as what? The mountaintop. We ascended the mountain in order to get a clear view of the entire landscape of the book of Romans. Now, if you recall, we had some homework to accomplish this past week, right? We were to commit verses 16 and 17 to memory. And so several people throughout the week you know said hey pastor tim can you listen to this and so we've been working on this we're going to have the words in front of you and we're going to read it out loud together 
just by way of review, and then we're going to shut off the words, and we're going to read it out loud together to see how well we've memorized it, okay? So it should be in front of us. Let's read together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm going to turn it off. And I'm, I'm kind of messing you up a little bit with my mic. So I'm not going to say a word. Okay, ready? Let's begin. Righteousness. <laughs> it kind of tails off in the end there. That's, that's really well done. You guys did very, very good. It's that, it's that little hinge for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith for some reason, okay? As it is written, what the righteous shall live by faith. Um, just keep that thought, keep those words before you. May it be a reminder for all of us. Remember last week as we discussed, remember the, the Matryoshka dolls, the Russian dolls that pack inside and then you unpack them, or, or the Babushka, there's several different names for them. That, that verse kind of extends out and then you kind of pack it back in again by way of an understanding of what? This is the truth that we hold on to when one lives. When you choose and commit to live entirely by faith alone, that's sola fide, in Christ alone, sola Christos, you know and you trust that you have been made righteous, you've been declared just by a righteous God who has revealed himself to us. How has God revealed himself primarily through the incarnation, through, through Jesus? Manger, cross, tomb. That what gives power that is sufficient for salvation, therefore causing Paul and the Romans and you and I to live unashamed. Of the gospel. So it extends out and we pack it back in. It extends out. You pack it back in. There's four truths we gave them to you last week that you'll see all the way through the book of, of Romans. The power of God, salvation, revelation, and the righteousness of God. And now we move on to another text and this is, this is, this is where it gets tough for us. The words will be in front of you. It's in the ESV, the English Standard Version, I'm reading. We're going to pick it up in verse 18 and read down through verse 25 for our text this morning. <clears throat> for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, 
Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. And the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now again, these are what? Foundational verses to our understanding of God's revealing to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've attended Big Woods Bible Church for more than one week, you're like, yep, the gospel again? Yes, yes, the gospel again. Think mission. Why do we exist? Love God, love people. What is our vision? In our community, we exist to build relationships so God is glorified and lives are transformed through the gospel. Therefore, we have got to understand the full essence and extent of the gospel. So that just as we saw last week, what? It includes the righteousness of God that is revealed to us from faith to faith. But now it immediately moves on to another subject. Number one, the wrath of God that is revealed. The wrath of God. The word wrath is defined as strong, stern, fierce anger. Deep indignation. It, it makes specific mention that what the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We have to remember here what Paul is writing to the church at Rome... And he starts with this loving, pastoral, fatherly encouragement, but he's going to get to the truth here. And what he is doing, Paul is actually building a case, what, against the guilty. Specifically against those people who say, I don't want anything of God. Believe it or not, years ago, they don't do it any longer, but law schools, Ivy League law schools would actually use the first couple chapters of the book of Romans to say, you want to build a case against someone? This is how you do it. They don't use the book of Romans any longer, but it used to be used like that. And you say, wait a minute, the wrath of God, but you, you have to make specific mention of if you deal with the righteousness of God, you have got to examine the wrath of God. You cannot separate the two. You cannot have one apart from the other. If the gospel is what? Good news. We know that then you cannot have good news unless it's against the backdrop of bad news. And the bad news is what? What is the bad news around us? Look around us. Here's the bad news. We all know it. We all sin. The bad news is we're all sinners. Well, wait a minute. Some churches would say, but that's, that's the... That's the S word that we don't like to speak about. No, no, we will speak about it. It's in the, it's in the word of God ungodliness, unrighteousness. 
Some of you will finally come to the place to say, you know what? Okay, fine. You caught me. All right. I did it. Stole a piece of candy when I was a kid. I picked a fight with my little sister. I lied to dad and mom. I, I looked at something when I should not have looked at it. And I, and I admit and I confess there's sin. Sin, 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 sin. It's Adam and Eve's fault. I confessed it. I asked for forgiveness. I, I won't do it again. Let's just move on, right? Let's just move on beyond this. Not, it's not that simple. Sin, what? The acknowledgement of sin is absolutely base to the understanding of what God has done and who God is for us. So today, we're not just concerned about the gospel, but we're concerned about what? Everything that it leads to us in our understanding of who God is, who reveals himself to us. Now today, a lot of people, if you were to ask them, are you concerned about the gospel of Jesus? Most people out in the world today would say, no, it's not really. I got, I got my job, I got my family, and I got my toys. People aren't really familiar with the gospel of Jesus because they're not familiar with the moral laws of God. And they know even less about the wrath of God. You have to understand that if people were more aware of the wrath of God, they would be far more concerned, far more concerned about what running toward the good news of the gospel of Jesus. But people are what? We are stubborn. We are what? We are stuck in our ways. The good old-fashioned King James word is that we can be stiff-necked at some level. Combine that with a clear misunderstanding that is very, very obvious about God in our culture today, that God is basically just some, some, someone out there who wants to punish you. I think it has the, the underpinnings of a lot of, forgive me, but false Catholic doctrine that has influenced for centuries. That's, that's why you have to offer penance all the time. You better pray the rosaries, and you gotta, you got to say your Hail Marys, and if you're not baptized, and you're not going down, and it's this, what, if you have to do this, or else God is going to punish you. A lot of people's understanding that God is just out to punish you, or else what, you blend that with other thinkings that are out there today. If you do something bad, then something bad's going to happen. If you do something good, then something good. So what's that? That's karma from Hinduism and, and Buddhism. It's all false. No, no, it's not like that. And that thinking is kind of bled into, like, God is just out there ready to hit me over the head with a stick because I did something wrong. That's not it. God is a God of love. Of love. Now, when we hear that, and then what happens with, with our understanding is we swing the pendulum so far that it's all love. Love, 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 love. I just want to hear how amazing God is. And it is true. God is a God of love. But what does it say? We'll look at later in Romans chapter 11. Consider, I like the old phrase, behold the goodness and the severity of God. We have to be able to balance both of them to get a view of who God is. I understand. You got up this morning, you brushed your teeth, you did everything. I understand it's hard to hear about the subject of the wrath of God, but it's truth. I'm not taking anything away from his love. The apostle John says in John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, an absolute classic statement regarding the love of God. Beloved, beloved, let us, let us love one another. For love is from God. 
Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The apostle grounds his admonition to us, what, to love one another because God is love. And we see that in this scripture. Love is from God. But, but, it is in his love for us, it is in his love for us that he will actually reveal to us his wrath as well. Hard concept to wrap our finite minds around. You know, we preach through the book of Exodus throughout much of the spring and into the early summer. And, and just in my personal study, I continued to read on after Exodus. And I was reading in Deuteronomy recently, and, and, and I was reminded of, of Moses, who, remember, he was given instruction to speak to the rock, and instead he, he, he beat it with a stick. And water rushes out, gushes out, and everyone's happy because they get fresh cold water. But Moses was disobedient. And as a result of his disobedience, he gets, in a sense, what? The consequence of his own sin. He's not going to make it into the promised land. And there's one particular part in Deuteronomy chapter 3. It says this. He's, he's, he's talking to God, and he says it just like you and I would talk. Literally, please, please let me go over and see the good land. Please. Here's the Lord's response. Listen to this. But the Lord was angry and said, enough from you. Do not speak to me again of this matter. What does that sound like? Is that kind of something that we're familiar with? I think the closest picture that we have it is what is, is parental love. Where we know what parental love is, is, is love that is so secure from a parent, from a mommy and a daddy towards their child. And yet even in the midst of open and blatant disobedience. Does a parent stop loving their child? Does a parent just say, well, I'm, I'm done with you, that's it. We maybe want, but no, absolutely not. Does a loving parent, one who loves and cares for, address and acknowledge firmly and fairly the offense that they have committed? Yes. They don't stop loving their child, but they must address the offense. So what's happening here? God's wrath is real. It's serious. It's severe. And nowhere, nowhere do we see the unfurling of God's wrath more than upon what? That's why this subject of the gospel is so central. To the righteousness and the wrath of God. Nowhere do we see the wrath of God revealed more than on a blood-soaked, nail-scarred, cruel, cruel Roman cross. Because in a sense, what? The agonos and the wrath that was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ was what you deserved and what I deserved. And we, we, can't even, we can't even picture it. We read those phrases and those words in the Gospels and we, we, we look away and we're sick to our stomach with, with the beating and with the torture and the writhing from, from the weight of what? One's body held by nails. And that's, 
That's actually the wrath of God that we deserve. D.A. Carson says it perfectly. I think his comment here hits home. He says, do, do, you wish, do you wish to see God's love? Look at the cross. Do you wish to see God's wrath? Look at the cross. See, it's at the cross that the wrath of God that was poured out upon his son, so much so that what? Although Jesus lived a perfect and a sinless life, he took upon himself the wrath that you and I deserved. So, so inevitably the question would be, like, why? Like, why, why do we deserve the horrors that were described and explained and revealed on the cross? Number two, what? We see the truth of God suppressed. When the wrath of God revealed, number two, the truth of God suppressed. It's very easy for us, I find, it's easy for us to categorize our sins with just broad, sweeping generalities. Uh, unrighteousness, just, just broad, it's, everything is just un, ungodly. And it is true, it is unrighteous, it is unholy, it is ungodly. But what the author is doing here as he builds his case is that he is intentionally what? Drawing the vastness of our actions and he draws it specifically together into a, a, a clear offense. One specific offense. All of the generalities of our unrighteousness is drawn together in this one phrase, what? To suppress the truth. I've read it, R.C. Sproul describes it like this, to suppress the truth is the sin that most clearly exposes our Adamic nature, our corruption and fallenness in the flesh. So here it is, in this single sin that provokes God's wrath so much, and it's the sin of suppressing the truth. Like, what exactly does that mean? The word in, in Greek, katakane, to suppress, literally means to hinder or to stifle. It means to incarcerate. Or, or get this phrase, it means to, to put it in detention. I was reading that and I thought, you know, I've got some experience in some of these areas right here. Not the incarceration part. But I, you know what? I stand before you and I just admit, I got some experience with what detention means. You know those bright yellow slips of paper? It's going to be 30 minutes, 60 minutes, or 90 minutes. Generally, I fell just kind of like average, just kind of in the middle there, somewhere in there. It's like, the, it's like glowing. It's like the, you can't hide it anywhere. As soon as you come in, like dad's like, hey, what's that in your book? Uh, nothing. It's this bright yellow slip that has to be signed by dad and mom. And what happens is that after you go through the, like, what did you do again? And they sign it, you go back to school, and the next day, it's this torturous, it's torturous event that takes place. Everyone, like in the entire world, it's the most beautiful, sunshine, blue sky, fluffy cloud day. Everyone goes outside, but you, uh, you sit right there. Put your, sometimes when it was bad, maybe, maybe I was, you have to put your head on the desk. You, I'm, you probably, that's damaging today, I'm sure. But I had to put my head on the desk. 60 minutes, you just put your head on the desk and you hear everyone. They're having more fun out there than any other day that they've ever had in all of the years of school. Your head's on the desk. And it's like this. Tick, 
something's unnatural there. Like this is not, this is not what it's supposed to be. This is not right. I am supposed to be outside with everyone else. I'm supposed to be enjoying, I'm supposed to mix it up with others. That's what we do. That's the picture. Think about this. You take the truth of God, that there's right in this world and there's wrong in this world. You take that and you what? Suppress it. You lock it up. You lock it down. He's saying that's it's not right. You're, you're fully aware this is not normal. This is not natural. There's something missing here. Well, what truth is it specifically that is being suppressed? Here's the truth. What? God's infinite awesomeness. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. And what? God has revealed himself through the splendor, the beauty, and the wonder, the sheer delight of creation around us. Look what it says. Look around. What can be known about God is plain. It's plain to them. He says God is shown to them. So much so that what his invisible attributes are revealed. His eternal power is revealed. His divine nature is clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. There's a subject here that we're supposed to be leaning into that God is a God of order and God is a God of structure and God is a God of laws and God is a God of design. And in his grace, this is grace upon grace upon grace, he's given to us, he's placed us in the midst of the splendor of creation to look around did you see the moon the other day? It was just like this, this, this bright orange glowing. Uh, it wasn't full, but it was like almost. And, and you ever spread a blanket on your lawn and just look up at the stars? It just it takes your breath away. The seasons, as we're in the midst of what? The ornate landscape. The colors of the leaves, the just sun, just, it just radiates and it bursts. It's an array of a thousand colors. And we live, what, with, with hills. You can see mountains and, and watch birds as they soar, trees as they change from season to season. Just watch, just watch and look at the way your hand moves. Man, mankind's trying to, uh, through robotics, trying to come up. They can't even come close. Just watch the way that a hand moves. Your eye blinks and refreshes and cleans and moistens. All of this is God revealing himself. Watch your, watch your little baby. I love this way. When she kind of wobbles up to her feet, you know, it's like, Wow! That's creation revealed. God is showing himself. Watch a cut as it heals. Like, how does this happen? I met with my hand surgeon, and he said, he said, Tim, he says, I don't know what happens, but he says, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, doc. And God used you to help this little process right here. Look at this. Watch this. God's just revealing himself. Watch, watch how a, a hawk hunts. The sun sets. The clouds form. Snowflakes and fingerprints. In theological terms, it's, it's simply referred to as general revelation. 
God is just generally revealing himself to us. It leads to, I believe, what specific revelation where God speaks to us specifically through the word of God. But what, what, what the author, what Paul is writing and reminding us about is that by simply looking around at what surrounds you, it is clear that all of mankind, underline these words, says what? They are without excuse. There's no excuse for you to deny. That's why I believe, that's why I believe the absolute lie of evolution is such a horrific, horrific offense. Watch how quickly evolution has made it into, you got some kind of ship, some kind of boat, watching birds 100 years ago, and how fast that has made it into our textbooks? Like, what is up with that? Man's feeble attempt to simply remove God from the equation. What Paul is saying, no, 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 you can't use that. You can't use the excuse, I didn't get the memo on that. No, God sent you a memo, all right? He sent you a memo the size of the entire universe that you cannot miss it. This is not what? This is not random. The beauty and the structure is not by chance. It's not by accident. It's not by explosion. It's by careful, divine design. So much so that there is no excuse for anyone, anyone ever, to, try to, to deny the existence of of a holy God. I remember reading years ago, my mom told me about a particular author, one of her favorite authors, and he was an atheist, and he was boasting about how God just it couldn't, he couldn't exist. And, and, he, and, he, and, and the story is told that he went camping in, in, the, in the Grand Canyon. And he actually had pitched his tent in the, the bottom of the canyon. He was awoken in the middle of the night by a sound that he unzips his little tent and, and he goes out and from what? The moonlit night he looked up and it was, it was beyond words. Beyond description. It was in that very moment that he said, what? God revealed himself. This is not by accident. Thirdly, what happens <clears throat> when the truth of God is suppressed the hearts of mankind are darkened. Although God has spoken with such clarity, it describes mankind's response. It says that they knew God, but they did not honor him as God. Which means what? God revealed himself to mankind, and they have purposely what stopped their eyes and their ears. They chose to ignore, they chose to reject, they chose to refuse to give thanks for any of it. And so what happens here is that there is some strong language that is used. They become futile in their thinking, and they're foolish. Foolish hearts darkened, and they became fools. The consequence, in a sense. I think today we have this word fool, and I think it's kind of used quickly and flippantly. And I think that the term fool is reserved, and we see it throughout the pages of Scripture, is for the full authority and wrath of God to be unleashed. Psalm 14 says what the fool had said in his heart, there is no God. How does a fool act? You know, like I could give you an example of a couple. 
What does a fool do to make them foolish? How does a foolish person talk? What does a foolish person say? What does a foolish person worship like? There's two verses that are given to us, 23 and 25, and they're, they're, they're saying almost, almost, but not exactly the same thing. The same way, and it makes a point, and I believe it's to emphasize the point that is being made. Verse 23, they exchange the glory of the immortal God. For images resembling mortal man and animals. Verse 25, what? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Worshipped and served creature rather than the creator. Now, what is this? This is referred to as transactional language. An exchange of sorts is taking place. I have something in my hand of unbelievable value and worth. I have pure gold in my hand. Pure gold. God is saying, I've revealed myself to you, not only through my own incarnation. Remember manger, cross, tomb? I've revealed myself not only through my own son, God with us, Emmanuel, where he became flesh and dwelt among us. I've revealed myself to you not only so you have faith in, in me, but in my gracious love, I've also revealed myself to you through the splendor and wonder and beauty of creation. God is saying in two ways. Why? So you will see me. You'll acknowledge me. You'll trust me. You'll worship me. You'll love me. Why? Because I loved you first. So rather than choosing to worship, they're choosing to worship something that has been given rather than the one who has given it. You're literally taking what? The purest gold, the glory of God, and the truth of God that I've given you. And you're saying, here you go, you can have this. I'm going to hold on to this rock. Because the rock has been carved into the shape of your house. Of your car. It's been carved into the shape of a Jeep. Right there. And people worship. been carved in the shape of what? Of your own success. It doesn't have to be a, an idol that is carved and you're bowing down to. I traveled to India a number of years ago and they worship differently. That's the reason that the gospel needs to go forward. We were training pastors to preach the gospel. And I got um, an hour for an hour break and I went out for a little walk. I didn't wander too far by myself, but I wandered a little bit and there was a, like an altar set up and there was a stone image that had been carved in the shape of a rat. The people had what? They had put money there. They were bowing down to a rat. Like, yeah, one of those that were like, oh, people will do anything. As foolish as we would say, what? People are worshiping a stone that's been shaped and carved into the shape of a rat, people are doing exactly the same thing with your own life. That you're putting other things in place of the view that only God holds. Your own success, your own career, your scholarship, your awards and accolades. You're replacing the love that is reserved only for the Creator. 
and you're focusing on something else. It's not designed to be like that. It's pretty descriptive language. Listen to this. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah is pretty blunt here. Try to figure out what he's telling you. Every man is stupid. That's how he words it. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 13. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false. There's no breath in them. Listen to the word of the psalmist in Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but they don't feel. Feet, but they don't walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who put their trust in him. There, there's something here for us. It doesn't have to be what a carved, what shaped. It can be anything that you have placed in your life. Your silly little phone. Your computer, your silly little games and toys, politics, economics, whatever it is, family, anything God has blessed us with, and we put it in view and we worship that which has been created rather than the crea creator himself. What, what, what is the result of this? I think, sadly, some of the most tragic arrangement of words in all of Scripture one of, the, one of the most sad phrases in all of Scripture. And it's so clear here that the, the author repeats it three different times in verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28. You want to do your own thing? You want to worship the silliness that I've, I blessed you with? You want to focus on things as opposed to me? You want to suppress the truth? You want to blind your eyes and stop your ears from hearing me and seeing me? Listen to this. What? Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up. He just gave them up. I don't know, I don't know if there's any more tragic phrase in all of Scripture than just what? You, you want to have that? You want to play with that mess? You want to swim in that slop? You want to rub your face in it? Then go ahead. Go ahead. You really want to exchange God with the pleasures, the feelings, the lusts, the tastes of this world? How about it? I think that's what a lot of people are doing today. You know, a lot of people are replacing what the blessings and beauty that God has given to us. And we're allowing it to block our view of God. Please understand that we're and when the heart of mankind has become dark and God has turned his face away, let me just tell you this, you can expect, expect the very, very worse. Later in the chapter we see that. We don't unpack it all right now, but you'll begin to see this is what it looks like. And you know what? What is described in the latter part of Romans chapter 1 is a perfect description of what's happening in our world today. Fourth thing, finally, and I, I get this. I, I, I get wrath revealed, truth suppressed, hearts darkened. I, I get the heaviness of this, all right? 
But it's not left there. We're not left there. Fourthly and finally, the creator of everything is blessed forever. Our text reminds us and concludes in verse 25 with what? It's the creator, it's the creator, it's the creator who is blessed forever. Today, this morning, this very moment, you have been given an opportunity literally to lean one way or to lean the other. This very moment, to lean towards God and his righteousness or lean away from God. And face his wrath. What God is actually doing is what he is. He is graciously, he is graciously and patiently revealing himself to you. Yeah, but it's really tough out there. I understand that. God is sovereign, still, still on the throne. God is revealing himself to you, not just through his righteousness, but also through his wrath. Do, do, you, do you see him in this? Do you see the structure and the order that this whole world still exists simply by God's sovereign hand? Do you, do you hear him? So the question that's really left for us in closing is, will you surrender to him? Will you love him? Will you worship him? Will you obey him? Will you trust him? Will you love him more than anything else? More than anything else? The delight is, the delight is, we know the end of the story. We know how this ends. Revelation chapter 5, listen to this. Just a glimpse. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, myriads, numbering myriads and myriads. And I heard every creature in heaven. It's everything. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory might forever and ever. We know the delightful end, but my concern is for the present, is for this moment. And I hope by looking at a subject as hard as it is of the wrath of God, that in all honesty, it's encouraging for you. That there's good news, but you, you don't understand. You don't understand, you don't see the good news unless it's against the backdrop of bad news. And so there is tremendous hope Tremendous encouragement as we are leaning one way or the other. May you lean toward the goodness, the greatness of a righteous God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your patience with us and your love. Thank you for how you reveal yourself to us not only through your son that we are most thankful for, but also, Lord, every, every time we step outside, as we enjoy the sweetness of fellowship, Lord, we confess, I confess, there are times, things that we can put in, in, in view of you. Lord, remove them, take them away. Help us to see you, to hear you, to know you, to worship you, to love you, to trust you. 
We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.